welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is Sarah Hart Unger, your host, and this is a podcast where we talk all things planning and planning adjacent. Today's episode is a very special one because we've hit a big milestone for Best Laid Plans, and that is that this is episode number 100. I began this podcast during the summer of the pandemic 2020, and this is the 100th episode. I do think we're slightly more than two years into production, perhaps, or who knows, maybe I'll actually have to go back and see because there were a few weeks that I chose to air reruns last July, and I don't entirely remember if I, since I did record new intros for them, I don't know if I gave them new numbers or not. But either way, in our numbering scheme, we are at episode 100 today, and so I do think this is something to celebrate. And one of the things we are celebrating with is an Ask Me Anything segment. So I've never done one of these. While I do have Q&A episodes, I've never really just opened up the floodgates to ask me anything. And my format was actually based on a podcast I listened to recently. It's called Allie on the Run. It's a much, much bigger, more famous podcast than Best Laid Plans. She is a runner, and I've been getting more back into running lately, even though the weather really suggests that I should do something else. Anyway, she didn't ask me anything where she took a bunch of questions from Instagram, cut them up, put them in a bowl, shook them up, and then pulled them out randomly. I was going to do it that way, but I ended up just pasting it into my trusty Apple Notes document where I do all of my kind of show outlines, by the way, in case anyone was wondering how that worked. And so I'm just going to read off of there, but I've only done minimal prep for my answers for each of these. So I hope this comes off as off the cuff and spontaneous as I intend it to. And I hope that if you had a question for me, you are getting it answered today. Remember, you can always send me questions. I do think in the months going forward, I'm going to try to go back to my old format, which is to have a review episode, a concept episode, a guest episode, and a Q&A episode every single month. So if you send me those questions, I will try to address them in my Q&A episode. And those are some of my most fun ones to record and put together. So keep those coming, either audio or via email. I'll also add a fun fact, which is that I jumped onto Instagram for the first time in like many, many months. Maybe I stopped around November of 2021 and it's June. So that's more than six months that I've been pretty much entirely off. But I did jump in just to ask for questions because I know some people are just on that platform so much more often and I wanted to see if I would get messages that way. And I did, and I had the Instagram app downloaded on my phone for like two days. I just found it to be an interesting experiment because I was really thinking maybe I would get sucked in, like would I wanna be back on it? Did I wanna post again? But at the end of the day, I actually did not feel particularly attracted to that format. I didn't really feel like I wanted to interact with artists and creators that way, I would rather interact with them in other venues. Like as an example, I love Planners and Wine and I almost never miss their podcast, but I don't feel it as fun to interact with the Instagram content or same with Amanda's Favorites, you also know I love. And so I think I'm actually going, I really do want to try to stay up to date with planner news. So I think I'm actually going to lean a little bit more heavily into YouTube because that format just feels so much less frantic and grabby. And I can follow a number of creators that I really, really like. So in addition to the podcasts that I love to listen to and the Patreons that I'm part of, 
I think YouTube might be my new like way to consume planner content rather than Insta where I used to do so. So I don't know, just a little musing before I get to the AMA. I am not planning to go back to Insta. That was just a one-time hello and post and who knows, maybe in a year or something. Maybe if they would go back to chronologic posting, but I don't ever see that happening. So yeah, I think that's just not the format for me. All right. Well, here we go. We have lots of questions, so I will go ahead and get started. Here is the first one. And really, these do kind of run the gamut between planner-related and not. Hi, I was listening to your goals episode, and you mentioned running. I was wondering if you've ever tried the Peloton classes. You can also see all the workouts on your board and see which days you've worked out, etc. I've tried different things for many years, and I found fun classes like the Hamilton class or 90s pop classes, etc., So actually, I do regularly use the Peloton app, but I do not have a Peloton bike and I run regularly, but I'm not really that interested or drawn to the Peloton running. Instead, I use Peloton for strength training and occasionally yoga. I actually really, really like a lot of the strength workouts that are available there. And I've even done some of the programs. Right now I'm doing Total Strength with Andy number two. I did his number one maybe six months ago and I am four out of six weeks in and I find it to be a really good program. It's like three to four workouts per week, 30 to 45 minutes per workout, a lot of full body and complex work. And I found it to be a nice complement to my running. I also really like the uh, Strength for Runners workouts, like those by Bex Gentry. And I really like Callie and Selena as other strength instructors that I really enjoy. So yes, I guess I'm the shoebox on Peloton if anybody wants to follow me there. I guess that's a thing, but I am not like a big... I don't know, Peloton devotee. I just really enjoy it to use for strength. And also I do like the yoga as well. All right, next question. How do you feel like you fit enough kid time around work and podcasting? I also work part-time and podcast and I have a one, two-year-old and I keep stressing I don't hang out with him enough. Okay, well, the first thing I would ask you is I just don't know how many men are asking themselves that question. I mean, I don't know how many hours you spend podcasting, but I have this feeling you probably spend a lot of time with your two-year-old, especially since you only have one kid. My guess is you actually spend a lot more with that two-year-old compared to if you had you know, three kids and he was the third kid of your, your three. To me, the only thing I wish I could have more of is solo kid time, but I don't feel like it's my work or podcasting preventing that. I feel like it's the fact that I have three kids. So I don't know. Podcasting tends to just fit in the crevices of my life, whether it is during my lunch break at work, at the end of a work day, on a day off. If I'm off, often Laura and I, when I do Best of Both Worlds, we'll batch three to four episodes and then we're done recording for the month. We do outsource all of the sound engineering work. So the only work that I do is writing notes to create the podcasts, which are often I don't know, brainstormed like at random times or in the morning when I'm blogging or with best laid plans, a lot of times I'm sharing suggestions from you guys. So it's just a matter of, you know, organizing and processing those suggestions and thoughts and planner piece segments. And then the actual recording just kind of fits in the crevices. I have been known to do an interview at lunchtime, even from work. I figure if I'm seeing my patients in the morning and afternoon and keeping up with everything that, um, you know, instead of going out to lunch or going to the cafeteria for a social lunch, I can do some podcasting and it, it doesn't take me that long to record each episode. Again, I don't do any of the editing. I just send in my tracks and 
The team that I work with takes care of that. It does have a cost to it, which is why I'm glad that I have had more sponsors for Best Laid Plans so that at least this podcast is not costing me money, but maybe earning a tiny bit of money, although not that much. But I think we've surpassed neutral, which is amazing. The other thing I'll say is, you know, probably I don't know what your schedule looks like, but I'm with the kids almost every morning and night. My husband is with them as much as he can, but I don't think he'd really be able to make that statement. And I'm also with them 90% of weekends, pretty much all day long. So honestly, that's a lot of time. I think our kids by default are going to get a lot of time with us. So I actually, again, if I had one wish, it's that I could get my kids a little bit more on their own, like just my 10-year-old or just my eight-year-old or just my four-year-old. I will get to experience a little bit of that this summer as my big kids are going to four weeks of sleepaway camp. But in general, that tends to be a little bit of a challenge. Question three. Hi, do you by any chance know of a notebook that's designed for weekly time blocking? I see that you write yours out, but I'm looking for something more efficient. Thanks. I'm not sure what they mean by write mine out. If I do time blocking, I tend to do it in either... I guess I would say I tend to do it in my full focus planner where it has the hours written in a column and I'll write what I'm going to do. So that is kind of like pre-printed and very convenient for time blocking. I think any layout that has hours in a vertical column is really suited to do very easy and quick time blocking. There is, of course, the time block planner from Cal Newport. We had Cal on as a guest, which was such a pleasure. And he is coming out with a version two that's going to be spiral bound. So I definitely will pick up a copy of that to review. I think it will be a big improvement because one of the issues with his initial version was that it did not lay flat very well, which is so important, as we know, for planners. So that's exciting. There's also the page productivity planner that was put out by... YouTube star Jordan Page that really is a time block planner. Like there are these buckets of time that you can define and decide what you're going to do in each bucket. And it's kind of a unique layout. I believe they sell a three month and a six month version. And so that's one you might want to check out. It's the Page Productivity Planner. And as I said, any hourly layout like the Erin Condren Hourly, the Hemlock and Oak Weekly, which is what I'm currently using, or a Hobonichi Cousin using the, you know, the weekly pages can be used for really convenient time blocking. All right, we're going to take a quick break for some words from our sponsors, and we will be right back. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Jenny Kane. I love Jenny Kane, and I hope you love shopping there to support the show. When you do, visit JennyKane.com and use code PLANS for 15% off your first order. We are now well into spring, and there's no better time to shop for beautiful cotton sweaters that can take us right into the next season. And definitely take a look at their dresses. They have so many pretty ones. I'm obsessed with the day dress. It's so classic and versatile. Plus, everything in their collection is designed so intentionally that you can style pieces together without a second thought. All of their sweaters and tops pair with jeans, work pants, and more, and can be styled to fit practically any occasion. Find your new spring uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code PLANS. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Factor. Factor is sponsoring this episode with an awesome discount code PLANS50 to give you 50% off your first month and 20% off the next. Trying out our sponsors helps keep the show going, and I think this is a wonderful time to give it a try, given that it's always a busy season. 
Factor offers no prep and no mess meals that are tailored to your wellness goals. They offer multiple options from protein plus to plant-based to keto and many more. No matter what your health goals are, you can keep kitchen time to a minimum while enjoying healthy and delicious meals with premium ingredients with Factor. You can get started feeling great and fueling well now by giving them a try. Head to factormeals.com plans50 and use code plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code plans50, P-L-A-N-S 50 at factormeals.com plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am back. This listener writes, I enjoyed your review of your planner stack a couple weeks ago and wanted to say I'd be interested in hearing you talk about or Instagram about where all your planners live, what travels around with you and how you carry them. I love planning on paper, but keep trying to force myself digital because I feel like I pack so heavy every morning between daycare, lunch, and paper. Yes, daycare, if you're still doing pumping or bringing in formula. Oh my gosh, that is a time of really heavy carrying, but I promise that part does not last. Now I can pack all three kids in the car and drop them off for camp. And they're the ones that really have to kind of keep track of their stuff rather than me. I mean, I definitely help the four-year-old, but I don't feel like such a pack mule. I'm generally just packing for myself for work, even if I'm taking others to school. So that's kind of cool. But the answer to your question is where they all live. So there are some planners that basically sit in my desk and don't go very far. That would be my five-year journal, my Hobonichi five-year, my Cultivate What Matters goal-setting notebooks, and then sometimes like a blank notebook to write on or a menu planning pad or something like that. The planners that go with me pretty much everywhere are my Full Focus Planner currently and my Hemlock and Oak Weekly Planner. Yes, that is two planners that get thrown into my work bag. But my bag is really pretty decent sized. I can carry both of those plus my laptop plus my pen case without having too many issues. So it has worked for me pretty well. And so that generally goes to me to work. My caveat is that it's not like I walk or bike a long distance. I drive to work, park my car, and then walk like maybe a quarter of a mile if we're being generous, probably like an eighth of a mile from my car to my office. So, you know, your mileage may vary if you have a long walk or you're commuting on public transportation or something like that. All right. How do you balance having an easily findable presence online with your blog and podcast with being a professional? In terms of the two meeting, like patients discovering the blog and podcast, thanks for all you do. Ooh, interesting question. This hasn't been as much of an issue as one might think. I have had some patients admit to me that they found my blog. Sometimes they say it in like a sheepish way. And when I had a couple people do that, I actually put up a page like under welcome, which basically says, if you're a patient, it's totally cool. Like, this is my blog. I blog about my family and planning. I'm never going to blog about your medical issues. And in fact, I really don't blog about medical issues. I felt like during COVID, sometimes I felt pressure to at least share what I was doing. And I think sometimes that 
felt to some people like I was blogging about medical issues, but I've never wanted to. In fact, there's a disclaimer, like I do not provide medical advice on my blog or the podcast or anything like that. I actually turned down a lot of sponsors that are selling a supplement or vitamin or product that seems vaguely medical because I really just want this to be a totally separate thing. And I'm purposely not anonymous because I actually feel like it would be more dangerous to be quasi-anonymous and then have people figure me out than to be completely transparent. And if the patient asks me, like, why, yes, I do have a blog. I've enjoyed having it since even before I was seeing patients back in 2004. I blog about my life, about my family, about planning and all things planning adjacent. And to be honest, I don't think the content of this podcast or my blog is too offensive to really any patient that I see. I guess there could someday be like a patient who's upset about something and posts on my blog or something, but I do. I rarely censor comments, but I think if I got something like that, I would probably choose to censor it and contact them directly and say like, I'd prefer you not use, you know, this forum. That's kind of like worst case scenario stuff. It has never thankfully come up. Yeah. So it's been fine. Um, You didn't ask this question, but like every once in a while I do get like recognized in certain scenarios, not frequently whatsoever. Sometimes I'll be on vacation or something and someone will be like, oh, I listened to your podcast. And often it's my other podcast. I think that one has a slightly larger platform. So people will find me that way. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. So I don't know if you ever see me, please say hi, because I'm not famous enough to be bored by it. I think it's like the coolest thing that could possibly happen. Slightly embarrassing, but super cool. All right, next question. I recently found your podcast and I'm hooked. A topic I'd like to hear about is staying organized in a hybrid work schedule. I was working exclusively remotely for 18 months and now going back in person and I'm on a hybrid schedule and always seeming to be without things I need. I love my two days at home, but how do I keep things together with this hybrid schedule? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to ask an obvious question even though the answer is probably you've already tried this, but have you ever tried a checklist? And have you ever tried putting that checklist somewhere really really obvious like maybe your phone background or if you carry a planner and it has a clear page in the front or a clear cover like taping it behind it so you can see what that checklist is in terms of like the things you actually need at work. Um because if the main issue isn't really your schedule but actually not having the physical things you need on your days that you're at the office, some kind of checklist might help and the Other thing that might help, again, this might be obvious, but just in case you haven't thought about it, is throw money at the problem and buy duplicates of certain things. If you always want to have your headphones or you always want to have, I don't know, a tablet or some reference book or something, there might be certain things that are worth not carrying back and forth, but actually having in both places. I know there are some students that have really heavy textbooks that purposely just buy a used copy of that book to keep at home so they don't have to keep lugging it back from school to home. So those are two ideas. I'm sure you already use um, some kind of weekly layout to really understand and run through which days you're at work and which days you're at home. I do feel like the weekly preview, either the formal one via full focus or just your own weekly preview and really running through what's going on each day helps me make sense of things on weeks that I am hybrid as well, like you know, seeing patients one day and working from home the next day. So the more you can give yourself some kind of preview, I think that definitely helps to get rid of that disorientation feeling like, what day is it? What do I have? Who am I dropping off? Etc. All right, here's kind of a non-planner related question. What is your social circle like? What do you like and what would you change about it? 
I'm feeling okay. I feel like my social circle was at its best perhaps when we had been in Miami Beach for like six years. So I'm still trying to be patient. We moved about 40 minutes northwest of Miami Beach in 2019, and that was not an ideal time to be connecting with people. And then again, since I felt like it took honestly five, six years to be settled there, and we've had three years, two of which were like pandemic years, I don't know. Like, I just know that I have to be patient. I still have a friend that lives in the Miami Beach area that I see all the time. I would say like she's my closest local friend and has kids my kids' age. I have family nearby that are kind of like fill that friend family role. My sister-in-law who I'm really close with and my in-laws and their kids. I am starting to know my neighbors a little bit more. I have a next or two days towards down neighbor that is my friend that actually helped us find this house in the first place. And we've had some like dinner dates with them and they're great. I am starting a neighborhood book club, but I have to report back. It might just be like me and one other person, but Hey, if I make one good friend, then that would be worth it. And then finally, I feel like I'm making some friends through my kids' school that's been really slow and kind of halted by COVID, but is starting to pick up. And I found some that I really connect with, um, including one I'm hoping to have over for like a little dinner later this summer. So I don't know. I'd say my social circle is fairly small, but perhaps growing a little bit. And I'm not sure that I feel the need to change. I don't think I have time for that much more than I do now. Oh, I do also have some friends at work who I would consider real friends and not just colleagues. So that's really nice to have people that I enjoy seeing and catching up with in the work environment. And then I have two circles of like far-flung friends across the country, one from college and one from actually when I was trying to get pregnant in 2012. So I'm still close with those women. We all have 10-year-olds, funnily enough, because the group was formed and we all got pregnant at the same time. So we have lots in common. And those are not people I see regularly, but they kind of help fill in my social circle because I we text all the time. All right, next question. We're getting there. I'm curious about how you decide what to prioritize. I love that you basically nope out of serious home decor, but really care about your wardrobe. I'm probably the opposite. I can wear athleisure or linen slacks and call it a day, but will spend literal months agonizing over paint color. Okay, well, this question was interesting and I thought about it in like, you're asking about priorities, but are you speaking about money or are you speaking about time? Because I feel like I have very different priorities with both of those, if it makes sense. And the things you mentioned are more like how I think about priorities in terms of money, but then there's also things I think about in terms of time. So I will say, well, first of all, I think the fact that I quote, really care about my wardrobe is a bit of a stretch. I can be found wearing basically the same types of things a lot, jeans and a t-shirt. Maybe they're jeans that I like and a t-shirt that I like, but really my basic uniform is pretty darn basic. Um, And at work, like black pants and a slightly nicer shirt of which I only have a few. So I'm basically wearing the same things all the time and I don't really care. So yeah, I don't know about the idea that I really care about my wardrobe, but you're right. I do care about it more than home decor, which I care about literally zero. In terms of time, I feel like I prioritize reading, travel, time with family, and exercise, and also my passions of blogging and podcasting. So that's a lot. I definitely try to outsource chores and I don't prioritize anything to do with home decor or gardening or yeah, a lot of the household maintenance type stuff. I really try to figure out some way around that or someone else to help me with that, whether it's my husband or people that we hire to do those things. And then financially, I feel like I try I prioritize travel and experiences either for myself or for my kids. Like them going to sleepaway camp is a huge expense, but I feel like I'd rather 
I would so rather pay for that than like a fancy couch and table or something like that, which some people really do spend that amount of money on decor and I just wouldn't. Yeah. So experiences over things financially and I don't know, fun things with my time rather than chores, I guess, to some extent. I wouldn't say I live in a super messy environment, but it's a more simple environment that's easy to keep up rather one that takes a lot of upkeep. I'm sure there's a ton of other things I don't prioritize. I don't prioritize keeping up with news. I do like my eight minutes of up first on 1.5 speed a day, and that's about it. I admittedly don't really prioritize political activism, though that's something I feel a little guilty about and would like to incorporate more at some point. And what else do I not prioritize? TV, definitely. Social media. I mean, I actively try to get rid of things that don't really bring me joy. And so that's actually freed up a good amount of time for the things that I do prioritize. All right. Next question. Are there any episodes you thought you would do that you decided not to? I would say no. There's nothing that like ended up on the cutting room floor. And that's in part because I don't really necessarily, unless something was disastrous, it's going to be unlikely that I'm going to go back and record an entire episode just for time's sake. I do have at least one planner that I ordered for review that I just wasn't that excited about. And I decided I'd rather not do a largely negative review. So I'm not going to reveal what it is, but that has happened before. Next question. If you could go back in time, is there any advice you'd give to Sarah in episode one? I would tell Sarah to quit Instagram earlier because I hemmed and hawed over whether it would somehow, I don't know, stall the growth of this podcast or something like that. And I definitely felt better once I got out of there. And I might have figured out a dedicated community earlier on. I'm still planning on maybe using Mighty Networks or if I can't figure out how to get that to work, at least a dedicated planner Patreon. But I I don't know. I feel like I could have started that early because it's always great to see these things grow and it takes time to grow them. I also would probably reach out to more podcasters, but I don't think that's a mistake I made. I think that's more of a time-limited thing. I know that one of the best ways to grow this show and help more of you find it is to be on other awesome podcasts. And that takes me, you know, emailing other podcasts and explaining why I'd be a fantastic guest, et cetera. So I do want to do that in the future, but I'm not sure it was like a mistake that I didn't do early on, just something I haven't really been able to fit in. All right. I think we have like five more questions. This is so much fun. How has planning changed your life? Oh my goodness. I think this could be a whole episode, so maybe we'll table it. But that intentionality that planning brings, my awareness of how the hours are being spent and the finite nature of those hours has absolutely changed my life. And I feel like I've only been more permissive with myself of just really taking charge of how I've spent my precious minutes over the years. Um, I also feel like it has put me in a much more proactive and less reactive mode, which tends to save time. So I feel like it pays off dividends in that way. Yeah, planning has definitely been a positive force in my life, and I hope it is in many of yours as well. Next question. I wonder what constitutes rest for you since you seem go, go, go. Is reading always restful? Since there's so much burnout in the medical profession, especially after the past few years, is that something you think about overtly or only indirectly? I would say I think about rest overtly. Work definitely can get me really tired, especially when I'm on call. Parenting can get me really tired, especially when my husband is working really hard and not able to help as much or I don't have as much childcare. And so the only way I have figured out that as a 42-year-old mother with a career, the only way I'm going to get rest is if I 
force it or like schedule it, plan for it, strategize for it. I guess that's the right word. Nobody is going to like carve out that time for me. It's just never going to happen. So I have definitely taken charge of that, whether that's taking paid leave days, taking little mini trips with my husband, like little 48 hour getaways, which can be so rejuvenating. Or also in a more casual way on weekends, I really plan out the days and I tend to at least want one weekend afternoon where I'm going to let my kids be on screens and I'm going to tell them they need to be quiet for the next couple of hours because I'm taking a nap and if they wake me up, then I am going to take their screens away and it works really well and I'll go in my bedroom and I'll read and then I'll fall asleep and it's honestly like the most luxurious thing ever and I love it. So yeah, I definitely feel like rest is incredibly important and something that I intentionally fit in. I also tend to do very little in the evenings and I'm getting trying to be less and less guilty about that. It's just kind of where we are right now, where my energy is right now. There may come a time when my kids have more sports or activities during the evenings, but we're not there and I'm not gonna rush it. And I'm, I greatly enjoy the fact that most nights I can help put the kids to bed and then either hang out with my husband or just read a book and fall asleep by 9.30. It's the best. All right, next question. We have four more. I've been wondering what your process was to find a therapist. I often feel like I could benefit from a few sessions with someone, but I'm pretty introverted and the effort of finding one feels huge. The thing that helped me with finding a therapist is acknowledging the fact that I probably wasn't going to find a perfect genius therapist who was going to solve all my problems, but instead to just focus on finding someone that was available and easy and convenient that could be a listening ear. And even the therapist I'm seeing right now, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't No, I have a podcast, so she wouldn't be hearing this. I don't think she's like the be-all, end-all therapist, but she's fine. She's kind. She listens. She's a place where I can vent. And honestly, that's been enough for me. I'm sure there are some people with more complex mental health needs, but if it's more just you need a place to vent and chat that's outside of your family and friend circle, I would just say just go ahead and, you know, Go for convenience. Book somebody online if if that's easier. Like just Google your area and who's available. Psychology Today often has a way you can search. And then if the first person really doesn't strike a chord, then try somebody else. If you're introverted, then the actual act of like going to therapy can be hard work, but give it a try and see if it feels worth it to you. The other thing that I've heard a lot about recently, so BetterHelp is one of the sponsors of Best of Both Worlds, and I know a lot of people love it. They actually offer a like text-only option where you can message with a therapist without having to see them or FaceTime or Zoom with them. So if that resonates with you, just to have like a therapeutic person that you're texting with, that might be more... I don't know, favorable for someone that's really introverted and doesn't want that person-to-person time, then that might be an option to check out as well. From your pile of, oh, this one's a duplicate. Okay, good. They asked what I carry to work. So again, just my full focus on my hemlock and oak, or previously when I was using the Hobonichi, I just brought my cousin. I am planning to move from the full focus into the Erin Condren Daily Duo, and I plan on just bringing that and the hemlock and oak to work. Where do you store all your writing utensils? Will you consider a product review of pen and pencil cases? So at home, I store my writing utensils in a few places. Some of it's in my organized 365 Sunday basket in a project bag. I think I've shared photos, but I can share that again. I've got a couple sets of pens in my desk drawer. And then I have a small metal Ikea tower that is mostly filled with stationary supplies, including two full drawers of pens. I have a lot of pens. I do not have as many pens as Amanda Rachley, who I just watched her YouTube where she swatched every single marker she had, and it was incredibly satisfying. And I was also very jealous of all her pens, but my goodness, she must have trouble storing all of those pens. So 
Yeah, that's where I store them. However, I only bring a very small collection of them with me. Usually um, I have two Pentel Energel Clenas because that's kind of my preferred gel pen that I write on everything with, as well as like a few mild liners in the colors that I've been using lately. And then maybe like one brush pen. That's it. That's all I need. And that fits in a small Notique pencil case. I have it in the Soigne Houndstooth pattern and I just love it. It is such an elegant little pencil case. Somebody asked if I'd consider a product review of pen and pencil cases. Maybe, but I don't feel like I have that expertise at the moment. I'd have to like order a whole haul from Jet Pens to do that. So we'll see. I wouldn't rule it out, but not on the immediate docket. Last question. Do you ever use your Hobonichi weekly spread in a time tracking fashion? No, (laughs) but you totally could. You absolutely could. But then like, what are you going to do with all those daily pages? I always use my Hobonichi weekly spread for just like keeping track of what my appointments are and like when I have patients and things like that. So I don't have room on that spread to also use for time tracking. But I do agree with you, any kind of a vertical layout would be great for time tracking. Um, If you need to put a lot of detail, I think the larger size Inamio vertical planner would be like a really fantastic powerhouse for non-digital analog time tracking. So I don't know. I agree with you in theory, but I've never actually tried that. All right. Those were such great questions. Thank you so much for sending those. A lot of them came via email or via my Instagram messages. Don't count on my Instagram messages ever being read again. So if you do want to send questions in the future, which I would absolutely love, do them through my blog or through SpeakPipe or write me an email at shoeboxblog, S-H-U-B-O-X-B-L-O-G at gmail.com. And you can keep those questions coming. If you want our move to do something fun and practice gratitude in honor of this 100th episode. If you left me a review, I would be incredibly grateful. Um, If you haven't ever done that, it would be wonderful. And I just hope that we can have 200 episodes and I'll be celebrating this milestone a couple years from now with even more fun guests and planners to talk about and questions to answer and planner peace segments to air. So thank you so much for listening and making this podcast so much fun to do. I am grateful for all of you. And with that, I will end this Q&A and I hope you all have a wonderful week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.